Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Phil Donaldson continues our series of messages on the Book of the Twelve, today looking at the prophet Zephaniah. And now, here's Phil. Good morning, everyone. Uh, please turn in your Bible of Zephaniah. You can look at your index. And if you're wanting to follow along in the NIV version, which I will be speaking from, uh, you could turn to uh, page 1463 in the in the that pew Bible ahead of you. We're continuing in our series on the Book of the Twelve, as they are known. They're often called the Minor Prophets, and we're studying this morning the Book of Zephaniah. I have an easy task; it's only three chapters, so that's uh, half an hour for each chapter. It is the ninth book, and like the others, it is far, far from minor in terms of the work that God had called Zephaniah to do. The meaning of his name was God hides or God protects. We don't have a lot of information about Zephaniah the man to see if God had particular oversight of his naming. But we will be able to draw some aspects of his uh, background and his, uh, and his life through the things that we read from his hand. Uh, in, in our chapters today. Let's uh, read, first of all, from uh, chapter 1 and verse uh, verse 1, the introduction to his book. I, notice, I want you to notice particularly the way the verse starts. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord that came to Zephaniah, son of Cushi, the son of Gedaliah, the son of Amariah, the son of Hezekiah, during the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, who was king of Judah at the time uh, that Zephaniah was writing. Zephaniah, from what we see in those verses, was likely the great-great-grandson, or he was the great-great-grandson of Hezekiah, who was generally understood to be King Hezekiah. If that is correct, his upbringing likely gave him a perspective of the history of the kings of Judah, and Josiah in particular. So he would have, uh, as he heard the verbal stories coming to him about the past, he would have an understanding of the nature of the kings who went before him, uh, starting with his uh, great-great-grandfather, King uh, Hezekiah. I just want to highlight one thing about the picture that I've chosen there. Is that it's a picture of uh, uh, this story from Second Kings chapter 22, which... Uh, the real history is given in both the book of Kings and the book of Chronicles about what was going on at the time. Josiah sent secretary Shaphan to start work on the temple. Hilkiah, the high priest, found the book of the law in the temple. And I just want to pause on those words. I don't know how much dust your Bible is, is uh, gaining in the corner of your room at, at your house. But this is a sad, sad story that the high priest found the book. It was his job, after all, as the priest of God to be reading that book every Sabbath day. And he didn't even know about the book. He knew about the temple and he found this book and brought it to, uh, to the king. So the, the high priest found it. He gave it to Shaphan, the secretary to the king, who read it aloud to him. And Josiah tore his robes when he realized 
that the nation had fallen very far in deeds and its leaders had fallen as well from guiding them into the truth of God's calling to them as a, as a people. To arrive at the theme of the book, one of the uh, hints I usually use, as you know, is to count what words are, uh, are used the most. And of course, I don't do that anymore. I used to, but now we have uh, computer tools to help us with that count. But I'm just showing here what the words that stand out uh, come uh, immediately to our minds as leading to our theme. The word day, uh, the word Lord, of course, is, stands out at the top, and that's not to be expected from a prophet of the Lord and providing, giving his message and his words to the people. And then that led, the word day comes next in the frequency, and it, it uh, helped me to understand that the overall theme of the book is the day of the Lord. And those two words together are repeated more by this prophet than any other prophet uh, writing in the Old Testament. And I've taken that, to uh, I understand that to be the main theme of this book uh, that, hang, uh, that brings the book together. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. I'd like to look at the historical context of uh, uh, the nation, the kings who went before us. And I just arbitrarily chose from Hezekiah because that's who was in the lineage of Josiah. He was a good king overall, as God declared it in his summary of his life. And then in the next king, Manasseh, uh, he started off mostly evil and there was a little bit of good at the end of his life uh, that gave him these two titles and summaries by the Lord. His son was Amon and he began evil and he continued as evil in the eyes of the Lord. King Josiah was a good man right from his youth, and we'll see more about that. And there's, there's references to the various chapters where this information uh, comes from. It shows how God viewed leadership of the dime. wonder what he would say about our leadership or your personal leadership in the way you are leaving, living your life and my life before him as we walk on the earth. How does he view us as in those categories of with me or not with me. The uh, King Josiah was a good king, and uh, we'll move into that now. Uh, just before we get to him, though, sorry, the uh, just want to give some dimensions that these, this book summarizes about the nature of the evil of the leadership of the land and the leadership that led to how the people uh, lived as well. Manasseh engaged in abominations of the heathen. He built up again the high places that Hezekiah had tried to remove. He raised up again altars to Baal, the, the pagan god of the time. He worshipped, and, they, he worshipped and served all the host of heaven on altars in the temple. So he was desanctifying, he was making unholy uh, the very temple that God had assembled for uh, people to worship him in. Here's one that just made me pause. It, he made his sons walk through the fire. He sacrificed his sons uh, uh, on a fire of, in the valley of Ben-Hinnon uh, when, uh, when he was worshiping his idol, idolatrous gods. This king observed times. He, they used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards for the source of their knowledge to govern by. 
In addition, they wrought much wickedness on the people in the sight of the Lord. So not only did they were examples of evil, but they with their power enforced it on the people that they were called to govern and be the people of God. Manasseh's son was no better. We'll just briefly cover him. His name was Amon. He was 22 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for two years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as his father Manasseh had done. He walked in all the ways of his father. He worshipped the idols his father had worshipped and bowed down to them. He forsook the Lord, the God of his fathers, and did not walk in the way of the Lord. I just want to draw some applications for this as we go along throughout the study this morning and think of ourselves as influencers of others. You may be a father who is seeking to, or you are going to, whether you, however you do it, is influence your children. And that doesn't just end when they leave home. It continues as they follow you uh, and look to you for an example uh, that you set down before them. Uh, the, uh, it's become a bit of a ministry that Peg and I have found recently. It's not just to our children, it's also to our grandchildren that we have found a ministry and being close to them and trying to influence them for the Lord and bring them forward in the, in the will of God. Let's just look briefly at the key events that frame and the dates that frame the period of King Josiah in which Zephaniah spoke. I think this is important to understand the book. And I won't go through the, the whole story, but uh, in, the, in the maps that are there, are captured by Assyria. The northern kingdom was captured by Assyria in about 721 B.C. And Zephaniah wrote from in around 639 B.C. And it's thought that that was done before the year 625 B.C. when the nation under King Josiah really started his revivals in, in the nation. Halfway through, roughly, the, the, his kingdom, his youth and his learning as he was a young king uh, came to fruition, we think, under the influence of the prophet speaking the words of God. He found the, he found the commandments of God in the law and he brought those uh, uh, to to the king and it's thought that the king moved in the right directions in detail because of the message that Zephaniah preached as the as the as the prophet of God in that period. Uh, uh, at the very young age, uh, the book of Zephaniah was Zephaniah was written before 629. Josiah said to find uh, seek God right from his early being as a very, very, as a child, really. And then when he became uh, later as king, uh, he uh, celebrated, brought the holy strictures to bear upon the people, had it read again in the temple under the revived high priest. And he later celebrated a great Passover feast and cleansed both the temple and the priest at this uh, thing that is talked about in the book of the Kings. So God is now, at this time, when Josiah became king, was ready to destroy the nation of Judah. Israel had already gone into captivity. That's about to happen, but notably because of the work that Josiah did for the people, God relented. And he, his, God is always ready to relent when people turn to him in repentance and in faith. He is willing to forestall a judgment that he had uh, proclaimed to them 
and he did did that. Uh, sorry, he he uh, re- relented from that uh, because of the preaching of the word by uh, Zephaniah. Uh, we we understand. So let's go back to that slide about on the historical context about the good king. The uh, Josiah was the good king, and I just want to read a few notes about what was said said about him as this good king. In chapter 22 of Second Kings, Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. His mother's name was Jedidah, daughter of Adaia. She was born from ba- she was from Boscath. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Here's the power of the word of God on the life of a man who read God's word and who uh, listened to the wisdom of the prophets of God and lived a life that would honor him by not turning to the right or to the left. There's a challenge for each one of us. Is Is our life characterized by filling our minds and hearts with the, uh, through the Spirit of God with His Word and in our lives, not turning to the right or to the left, but filling, serving Him out of love for Him uh, with our whole mind and our whole heart. Listen to this, what is said about uh, this king. And that's why it's worth studying him a little bit. Is it says in Second Chronicles, Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did. With all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength, he lived in accordance with the law that was now being written. That's to us as well to live up to that kind of exemplary man who followed the word of the Lord and infused his mind and his heart with God and lived for him uh, with all of our might and strength. A real challenge to us all. So let's just move through the book briefly uh, along the themes that we suggested uh, hangs, holds the book together. Uh, I've entitled uh, the theme, the, the Day of the Lord. And on this slide, you can see the, uh, a little bit of a breakdown in a spreadsheet that I'm famous for. Uh, the different time periods, the, the theme in the first part of the book is we could entitle the judgment of the Day of the Lord, not only on Judah and Jerusalem and Israel, Israel as a whole, but on the nations as well. And in the, in the latter part of the book, we come to the, the lighter part of the book where we learn about God's turning, uh, bringing, his, sorry, bringing his salvation uh, to, the, to the people, uh, as, as the, and I've entitled it, The Salvation of the Day of the Lord. In, the, uh, in those various lines, you can see the chapter breakdowns under those titles. And uh, some key words that we'll be following is uh, uh, the Lord, sin, shelter, idolatry, desolation, and, and remnant. Book because it, it, I know this chart looks very straightforward from A to B to C to D, but it's kind of not like that when you first read it. Uh, it takes some decoding of, uh, of Hebrew per- poetry to help us understand it, which we'll do in a moment. But notice that the, uh, the scope the line in particular of how that flows through and really frames the main structure. We have the judgment of the day of the Lord on Judah and Jerusalem and also on all of the nations. And then we have the salvation of the day of the Lord which towards the Jewish nation, which we can see, first of all, their, their judgments by God against them as his people, 
And then the, the restoration from that judgment flows as God seeks the people who would uh, respond to him in repentance and, and, in, and in service. Uh, I refer to the poetic literature, and I'm not going to bore you with this, but it's an interesting help to you, to us, as we read through the book. There's a type of Hebrew, well, modern literature uses it as well, uh, called chiastic structure of writing. And that's, uh, and what it looks like is just what's given us an example of the whole book. Uh, it flows, it, it flows from one theme to a central point in the middle and mirrors that theme towards the end of the book. And that's why it's, it's kind of confusing when you first read the book when you realize that that's what, how the, the poet is, Zephaniah is presenting his message. Uh, he starts talking about the judgment on the world, judgment specifically on Judah, judgment on Israel's neighbors, then judgment on Jerusalem, then judgment on all the nations is one example of that in the book. And on the next slide, uh, we have another breakdown. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't come up with these. I found these once I tripped over the, the structure and how to read the book. Uh, I'm interested in that structure of the closing message of the book in chapter 3 from verse 14 and how it starts with Zion singing to God. And it works down to Jerusalem's future message. And then it goes back to Yahweh's singing, and I want to dwell on that near the end as we go through that particular chapter. But hopefully those will help you as you study this book. It did me for sure. So let's just move through on judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. The key thought in that section is the sin of Judah and Jerusalem. And listen again to the kind of judgment that Zephaniah is now declaring as the judgment of God. What kind of a nation were they? They worshipped Baal rather than the true God of heaven. They had pagan, idolatrous priests as their leadership. Together, the leadership and the people worshipped the stars. They had duplicit worship of God and idols. They tried to live both as saying, yeah, we believe in God, but we also uh, worship idols. And let's be careful there. That's in our lives. Not ever be duplicitous in our faith. Let's not serve God, but at the same time, try to serve the powers and influences of the world. Uh, they rejected the true God as the only God to be served by them. And at, but in the middle of that, at the invitation of the sovereign Lord, they were called to be silent before him. As God judges, they are not to speak in defense of themselves. He has made the... De- it's not what we are to do either. We are... In, we're to listen to the judgment of God and not use the word but. But this is the circumstance. But God, you don't understand. But God, we have to eliminate that from our mind and our vocabulary. Uh, and the punishment was, served on, was to be served on royalty, the idolatrous priests, the pagans who approached God's place of worship. Now, I just noted on the slide here something of interest. I couldn't figure out what he was meaning by that uh, until somebody pointed me to 1 Samuel 5 and verse 5. Remember, the Philistines captured the ark of God and they brought it to their own country. But then what they were finding is bad things happened when they approached the ark. And you can read about that in the reference I've given. And I think Zephaniah is referring back to this and saying... The temple here, you are just like the pagans who are approaching the temple, but you're treating it as an idolatrous place. And uh, that's the 
the depth to which they had fallen in the worship of the true God. And their punishment was also upon those who think God will not act. I just want to pause there for a moment and think about our current situation in the world. It's very easy to get a little bit despairing about all that's falling upon the world and strife and the exercise of power and the murdering of people and so on. We're, We're all rightly so disturbed by these events. But never think that God is not going to act according to his own purpose and his own way. If he was not, he wouldn't be God. He wouldn't be sovereign. He wouldn't be the almighty Lord of the universe uh, if we don't attribute to him the things that he is allowing. Uh, Never, like these people were doing, just live as though God would not act in their lives or the land of the nation. And then in Judah and Jerusalem, we have this, uh, this beautiful aspect of God is bestrayed. First of all, God is, uh, is displayed and understood to be a God of wrath against sin and one who will punish sin. But before he continues with that meeting out of those things, and well, after it's, it's proclaimed, but before it's done, I should say, he, he gives an offer of shelter to his the people who will turn to him. And listen to this. Gather together, yes, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives and that day sweeps on like chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before of the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you, seek the Lord. All you humble of the land, all you do what he commands, seek righteousness, seek humility, Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. And we see that the Lord is not just a perhaps. When the individual turns to God, his life changes. When he continues to rebel and reject God in his life, then expect his judgment, not just at a future time, but now. He is pouring out, as the book of Romans says, he is pouring out his judgment on the unrighteousness of men and now, present tense. At the time of the Apostle Paul, he wrote, he is pouring out his judgment on those who rebel and refuse to accept him in their lives. But you will be sheltered as he invites all to come to repentance and faith in him to avert the judgment uh, by God against their their sinfulness. Uh, The sinfulness of Jerusalem I described with the key word of desolation. Woe to the city of oppressors, rebellious and defiled. What a description of the people of God. She obeys no one. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials are roaring lions. I'll just be brief here. Verse 4. Her prophets are arrogant. They are treacherous men. Can you believe that? The prophets who are called by God initially stray from him under the influence of the evil powers that existed and they became treacherous men. Even the priests profane the sanctuary and do violence to the law. They didn't even know where the law was or what it said. The Lord within her, though, is righteous. He does no wrong. Morning by morning, he dispenses his justice. And every new day, he does not fail. Yet the unrighteous know no shame. The Lord never changes. In the middle of all of the the, uh, idolatry and the awesome, terrible things that go on in the world, the Lord does never change, does not change. 
I have cut off nations. Their strongholds are demolished. I have left their streets deserted with no one passing through. Their cities are destroyed. No one will be left. No one at all. In the immediate historical sense, he's of course talking to, prophesying about what's going to happen to the nation of Israel a couple of years hence when they when they return to their rebellion against God. And uh, uh, Zephaniah is writing about that as well as the longer term and as also on the level of personal behavior before him. And then in chapter 3, this, uh, this discussion about the remnant comes up. And I want us to notice, what, first of all, what the re- term remnant means and means for us today. And also what the sequence is by which God wants us to come to him. The first one, and I'm so appreciative of the opening hymn that, uh, that uh, Chris sang for us. Therefore, wait for me. In silence. Of course, I've broken that silence a little bit here, brother. But uh, the uh, wait for me in the silence and quietness of our heart and listen to what God has to say to us. I have decided to assemble the nations and to pour out my wrath on them. But then here comes from the darkness comes the light. Then will I purify the lips of the peoples that all of them may call on the name of the Lord and serve him shoulder to shoulder. From be- I'll just pause there for a moment. Here is his redemption. Here is his giving of righteousness to people who turn to him in repentance and want to serve him as their God. And what does he do? He purifies our lips. How's your mouth, by the way? today. <laughs> Purified lips is an interesting way of describing righteousness, isn't it? Because from where, where the lips speak, that originates in our hearts and minds. And let's just apply some of these things to ourselves today. They reflect our attitude. They reflect our calling. They reflect our understanding of our commitment uh, to God. And He purifies it gives us righteousness as part of our salvation. And the extent of the people of influence, in this case, Jerusalem and Judah, if, they, if and when they turn to him, that will be an influence around the world. And that's, we won't go into all of that as it applies today, but from beyond the rivers of Cush, my, neighbor, my worshippers, my scattered people. I didn't, by the way, point out those maps that I provided, but I did uh, provide some maps that show all of the cities named and the places and the nations named uh, in the book for, for us to help, to help us along. And Cush was one of those far away places down, the, down to the southeast, a great ways that he was talking about at that time. He wasn't just talking about the, the close-in enemies of the nation of Israel at the time, but he was talking about the influence that the, the people of God could have as far as Cush, the Cushites down the, uh, uh, down the Tigris and River in that area. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my, my, Cush, my worshippers, my scattered people will bring me offerings. So here God is looking through what's going on at the leadership and the political powers that be. He's looking to the remnant from within those powers or from within the people both who become his and, and live for him in the middle of whatever that swirl is going on in the world. I was listening to a speaker that was uh, talking I was involved in a, uh, an interview relationship with this uh, fellow who lived just outside of uh, Jerusalem. He, was, he is a mess- Messianic Jew. 
And he was talking about his view on what was going on in his world. And he talked about the powers and all going on with them, and I won't repeat that. But what he was focused on was the people in the land, not only in, in Jerusalem, not only in Israel, but also in the Gaza Strip. And he was praying for the people there who were in great need, who were Christians, who were in the middle of all of this foray. And it just woke me up to think, boy, oh boy, here's the words from Zephaniah. My worshipers come from wherever they are in the world and accept me as their Savior and Lord. And that's, the import, that's what's described as their remnant. Yes, of Israel, but yes, also of all of the nations of the world as is stated here. Uh, I just want to just highlight the, the remnant and their salvation as it's described here. And uh, uh, let's just read the verses quickly. Sing, O daughter of Zion, shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord, first of all, here's an aspect of the salvation that we all appreciate as step one. He has taken away your punishment. Do not fear. Don't live in fear. Don't live in uh, frightened about what the future holds. You are now with the Lord. And He is with you. He is mighty to save. He gives a perfect salvation. For everyone who accepts Him, He forgives all their sin. They become His child. And He is theirs forever. And not only that, but He's mighty to save. But not only that, Zephaniah says, He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. And here's a staggering little verse that I want you to all think about. Have you ever heard God sing? Have you ever heard Jesus sing or the Lord sing? I don't know the answers. I just raised the question. Here it says, He will rejoice over you with singing. Yes, our singing But I can just picture now from a new thought that I had, God singing to us and as we sing together for all that he has done for us. That's a bit of speculation, but uh, have fun with it. So let's just summarize in closing as the musicians uh, start to come up. The Lord, what what is said about it here? What is said about him and about you and me in summary? Every person is created to be his people. He he created men and women to know him and to be his. But they sinned. We all sinned and come short of his glory. We've learned here again that forgiveness and repentance is always there by his love, grace, and purpose. He judges all who turn away from him and who live without him. Again, a key challenge to us all. that not, Not in terms of our position, but in terms of our practice. We too can fall away. He is always there for us. But he is and he always will be the sovereign Lord over all. It's one thing to be sovereign, but it's also another part of who the Lord is. He's almighty. There is no power that can fraught the sovereign position of the Lord. No one can uh, reign over all of the rulers and powers of the world, including spiritual powers that are evil. And last thing, of course, that we've been focused on, he came 
as the Savior of the world as promised by Zephaniah and all of the Old Testament prophets. They promised things for that time for the people, but those prophecies, we don't have time to go into it, but they go on to talk about the future, the coming of the Messiah, and then the coming of eternity. And that is the structure of prophecy, most, a lot of it anyway, in the, the scriptures that have that long view of where eternity lies for those who are his. And for you and me, we are part of the remnant who are to, because we have humbled, repented before the Lord, and we rejoice and live in his love and in his calling. And then we have that day of the Lord we were singing about, which is such a huge framework, foundational post of our faith and of our future. In that day of the Lord, there's judgment going to come, but the remnant who belong to him, there is only hope, no need of fear. There's, we are to trust and witness for him by his spirit and by his word. I'm going to ask our brother Bruce, after the music is done, if he would close our meeting in a word of prayer and someone can give him a, a microphone easier than I can. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the faithfulness of God in the face of the cycle that we see of sin and disobedience and separation and in grace for a, a remnant that would return to you, an offer of hope, an offer of return to me and find salvation, find forgiveness and find redemption for your sin. Oh Lord, we just praise you today for your character, your never-changing character of love and compassion for people the desire to have a relationship with us in the face of our stubbornness and disobedience. You prevail, Lord, with your grace and love. And so, we take the spots with us as we leave today and we cherish the thought of redemption and salvation in Jesus Christ. And may we just go with joy in our heart, Lord. We thank you for the message of God. The sustaining message of hope, Lord, you give us in your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you're in the Timmins area, or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time. <laughs>